It's really good and a blessing indeed that all of us have been blessed with a measure of health today and the state of mind that we have had desire to assemble and to gather January the 5th, 2020, the very first Sunday of this new calendar year, the first Sunday of this decade. Who knows what the next 10 years may bring, no doubt many changes afoot in your life and mine, but one thing is for sure, there is no better way we could have started it than is gathering like this. As I mentioned, then certainly good to be able to come together today. And our worship service is always that which we desire to be consistent with the Word of God. So we have prayed and we have sung and we have turned our attention now to a part of the Word of God. You know, the Bible, we started our whole service today, that Bible study hour, by singing, Give me the Bible, holy message shining. In reflecting upon that, we place very central the beautiful teaching of the Word of God. I hope you'll open it then with me to Romans 12, and let's give at least some reflective consideration to the first couple of verses of that chapter. I might say, though, that it'll be a little bit into the lesson before we get exactly to that chapter, because we need to lay a foundation first, a foundation that may in fact cast a new element of consideration to what we will see when we do arrive at that chapter. To start, let me invite you to consider this opening slide. There may be some numbers here that you'll find surprising. I entitled this lesson, Offering Sacrifices. I know that I found it a bit shocking how many times the Word of God makes reference to either offering or to sacrifice. You can see the numbers with me. The word sacrifice, or some form of it, occurs 337 times in the King James Version. And that word, offering, occurs almost a thousand times. Now that by itself should suggest that the nature of God's revelation frequently involves these things. And it's true that many of them are in the Old Testament, but not all of them. I might even ask this question, do you and I offer sacrifices today? Does God expect it? If so, what are they and how should they be offered much of our lesson today will at least center around that concept because it is such a rich one and so very meaningful. Let's start our journey then by reflecting at least for a moment on a few of these occurrences and admittedly we will see an appreciation of why the significance is so grand and so great. What is the first reference to any sacrifice in the, in the entire Bible? If I were to ask that, has your mind already raced to the book of Genesis? I would call to your attention Cain and Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, you may remember that these two boys brought sacrifices unto God. Now we well remember that Cain's wasn't accepted, but Abel's was. But they brought sacrifices. And one of them involved, you know, a blood kind of offering. The other one didn't. What's the last offering? Has your mind raced to the book of Revelation? The very last book in all the Bible. Something is said there about the offering of a lamb in Revelation 5.12. May I say that in between those we have some appreciations like these. The building of an altar. The presentation of those noble people of the Old Testament era like Noah and like Abraham and others. They found it critical. May I ask all of us a question? What if you and I had to build an altar? 
at everywhere that we had desire to offer particular sacrifice or service to God. Aren't you impressed that the first thing Noah did when he stepped off that ark was to build an altar? Now, you and I don't pile rocks up and we don't pile up other things in the same way that they did. But my question again stands, do we offer sacrifice today? Does God demand it? And if He does, may I suggest it is imperative that we know what these are to make sure we're offering them correctly. Let's close that slide then by observing the foundation I mentioned earlier. Under the Levitical system of the Old Testament, you remember that when Moses ascended on Mount Sinai and God used His finger and wrote upon these tablets and gave him this set of laws. We often think about the law of the particular Ten Commandments. But remember that the entire set of those laws that God gave to him was far more extensive and it included references to things like this. The children of Israel were commanded to offer a burnt offering. Leviticus chapter 1 details it. Might you and I remember, this was not something that you could just offer any way that you wanted. In order to please God and in order to be satisfactory to Him, there was this burnt offering, and you'll notice a few of its particulars. What was its purpose? It was to atone for unintentional sin. So in other words, if on a Monday I sinned against Denise... Or maybe I in some other way sinned at my place of work and I had desire then to be right with God that night. I'd have to go out and get a bull, a ram, or perhaps if I was poor enough, a particular bird. I'd have to take that to the tabernacle and it would have to be offered. Doesn't it sound inconvenient? Doesn't it sound as if it's taking things out of what I already own? Maybe I don't have a big flock as it stands, and yet I'd have to go take one of the elements of it and give that over to God. Well, by that very same token, look at how that ends. What was the whole idea of the meaning of this? The burnt offering signified the complete and total surrender to what God commanded. The complete and total surrender to being in harmony with His will. Now, the burnt offering wasn't the only thing God commanded. Look at the next one. There was a peace offering. Again, Leviticus chapter 3 details it. God gave these specifics and it entailed this one literally could be any animal from either the herd or the flock. But you'll note one more thing. It signified fellowship with God. Now may I be quick to say, the burnt offering was offered prior to the peace offering. The peace offering was a wonderful thing that signified all of these sins have been atoned for and I am now at peace with God. One more time, you'll notice an animal's given up. What if my herd was small to start with? Then that means I'd have to spend my money to go and purchase the required animal from some other source. The sacrificial system was extensive. Look at the next slide with me. There was also a so-called meal offering detailed in Leviticus 2. Other translations call it a food offering. Now this one entailed the following. Flour or oil or grain. So now I take something out of the cupboard. Something I could otherwise use to provide a necessary meal for myself and yet it has to be given to God. 
It has to be perfectly and completely devoted to Him. You'll notice that it signified the goodness of God. By now you can begin to see a family would need to have rather reasonable access to these things because God commanded them to be offered. You couldn't go through life and never offer a burnt offering. You couldn't go through life and never offer the fullness of these demands God had extended. Look at the next one, the sin offering. Maybe this one captures our attention unlike any other. These others have truly been very meaningful. The sin offering, again, it is such that it involved a bull or a goat, bird, flower, and perhaps even an individual character relative to, to one of these animals. Leviticus chapters 4 and 5 detail it. How often does a person sin? Quite often in our prayers, we make note of the fact that from time to time we fail God. Well, you know they did. They stumbled, they failed, they made poor decisions, they acted in ways they shouldn't. They failed to do what they should. And yet when they did, you'll notice that this was an atonement again for an individual non-intentional sin. So if I goofed up and sinned on a Tuesday, and then I did another one on Friday, I've got to come up with a number of appreciations of offering the required offerings. Would it not be an incentive to not goof up? Because you may not have near enough flock or money to have access to all these things. You would have had to cross your mind. Let's add to that the following. There was also a trespass offering. By now, with regard to the offerings that are listed in the Old Testament, this one was also required for forgiveness. It was necessary, as you can see on the slide, specifically attached to sins of ignorance. Now that one at first sight may seem troubling. If it's a matter of ignorance, I don't know I've done it. But the thing is, what if after the fact I come to realize that what I had done previously was in fact against the law of God? Then I committed a sin of ignorance, and at that point it becomes required of me to offer the trespass offering. There are times I almost wonder it would almost have been at least an every few days matter to come up with an offering. Because how many times would you sin? How many times would you need either the burnt or the peace or the sin or the trespass or the food offering? The sacrificial system, to say the very least, was not only demanding, it was very strict. Let's continue our journey. In Exodus 28, there is even reference to a daily sacrifice, but please take note, this wasn't for each individual. This was the entire nation of Israel. There was a daily sacrifice the priest offered for them. It was a lamb in the morning and a lamb at night. But doesn't that at least indicate that on a daily basis there is a need for redemption and a need for atonement? Let's close that slide like this. In addition to these various required offerings, the Old Testament even makes reference to a free will offering. In other words, a person may have his or her own choice. I would like to feel closer to God, and in that instance, I would like to make a vow inclusive of this offering. And so that person would choose to offer a flock or a bull in an element of personal dedication to God. 
the number of sacrifices is becoming extensive. But the list goes on. On the tenth day of the seventh month was the Day of Atonement. On that particular day out of each year, there was a very special service in which the entirety of the nation of Israel was in fact brought near to an understanding of the scapegoat basis where all their sins were placed upon the head of a goat and it was released out into the wilderness and the other goat was killed. A constant reminder of how badly they needed to be forgiven. A constant and yearly reminder of how sore was the need for those sins to be taken care of. With all of that, may I also mention the major feasts. There were sacrifices required to be offered during the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, during the Pentecost, and during, in fact, that Feast of Ingathering. I've tallied the numbers for you. In total, if you add up all of them, for those feasts, it tallied to 85 bulls, 22 rams, 154 lambs, and 15 goats. That's what had to be offered for the nation. I wonder what kind of lessons these individuals, as you then assemble at the tabernacle and you watch one priest after another take care throughout the year of all of these things, would it not have been a reminder that those animals are in some way paying the price for what should have happened to me? I'm the one sinned. It didn't. I'm the one that in fact violated God's law. It didn't. The sacrificial system leads me to then conclude that slide like this. We've already highlighted that as a family would have to go and select an animal out of their herd or flock and offer it on appropriate occasions, you couldn't just pick any of the animals you wanted because God demanded that the sacrifices be blemishless. Deuteronomy 17.1 that means you had to look with care upon those lambs or those goats or those rams. You couldn't find one that had a skin disease and say, I just happen not to want that one. I'll let God have that one. You couldn't pick one that had one blind eye. You couldn't pick one that had some other particular problem with its features. It had to be blemishless. That meant that those individuals had to give the best of their flock because the best ones would have been the ones without these problems. I wonder if it hurt sometimes when you had a flock of five and the very best one you had to pick and realize, I'm not going to get a thing out of it. It's got to be given to God. And I'm going to reserve it or make sure that it stays healthy so that when I do need it, I can make sure to offer it to Him. Offering sacrifices would have involved constant reflection by the people of that day to watch over your flock, to make sure to keep those which you need handy so that you could give them to God. Let's read even further. Psalm 50 verse 6 reminds us that those offerings had to be made with the correct attitude. You couldn't offer them grudgingly. You couldn't offer them as if, I wish I didn't have to do this because you loved God enough and sufficiently so that you were happy because He said that He wanted them. In addition to that, notice, 
in the midst of all of that, there were still a number of occasions in the Old Testament when God specifically said, those offerings you have offered, I'm not going to accept them. Maybe none are any stronger than Jeremiah 6 verse 20 and Jeremiah 14 12. When through the prophet God said, I will not accept your offerings. Now they were bringing these bulls and rams and the other matters and they were slitting them and killing them and sprinkling the blood and God says, I'm not accepting them. I would offer that that at least begs the question again for us today. If we are to offer and if we don't offer correctly, God won't accept it. Following point on the slide is this. How many untold gallons of blood over the 1,500 years of the law of Moses were spilled in these sacrifices? Think of all of the lambs, all of the bullocks, all of the goats, all of the turtle doves, all of the animals that were slaughtered in the aspect of these particular offerings. And yet Hebrews 10, verse number 1 says, Not a one of them could make the consciences of those who offered them clean. And not a one of them were such that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. Surely we learn something dramatic. God commanded all of that to be done and it had a purpose, but it was not the perfect sacrifice. It only pointed the way to something better to something grander, to something greater, to something ideal. No wonder that final comment is this. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament was extremely rigid, extremely demanding, extremely full of requirements. I know that all of us have then an interest to wonder where are we headed in the New Testament in Romans chapter 12 is where we will devote the remainder of our lesson time this morning. May I invite you to turn there with me. And in many ways, we will step element by element through the first couple of verses of that chapter. In the first 11 chapters of the Roman letter, Paul had set forth some dramatic and in some ways profound truths. But beginning in chapter 12, there's a rather practical application to it. In other words, what does all these wonderful and powerful theological thoughts mean to me on a daily basis? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may... Prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do we offer sacrifice today? Absolutely. Maybe that's the first thing we should embed in our thinking. We are demanded by the God of heaven that we offer sacrifice today. But these thoughts are immediately thus before us. Let's first settle this in our heart. When they offered burnt offerings or peace offerings or the other offerings like the sin offering, Notice that the God's purpose for those things pointed to the idea of atonement. The sacrifices that you and I make today are not for the purposes of obtaining atonement. Why do we say that? Because of texts like Hebrews 9 verse 28. So then Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and to him that looks to him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Jesus 
offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Hebrews 10 verse 12. So you and I don't offer a bull or a goat or a lamb to the intent that it's our desire to use the blood of that animal to obtain forgiveness for our sins. Jesus' blood did that when He shed His blood on the cross. It is through that blood and that blood only that one may obtain forgiveness from sins. No wonder when Jesus declared, It is finished in John 19.30. The plan whereby human redemption could be had was finalized. Aren't you thankful? You don't have to maintain a flock and have to go get a lamb or some other animal out of it and offer it on occasion for your own sins. Jesus did that for us. And not only that, the sacrifice that He offered can make the consciences clean. Hebrews 9.14 May I say we offer, we owe to Christ so much. In fact, many of us don't even have a flock. We don't have to keep one for this purpose. But you'll notice there are some words that Paul used here that are very illuminating to us. I've asked you to note some definitions. First of all, the word beseech. Paul says, I beseech you, brethren. That word means a strong begging, a pleading. Paul says, I very much want you to understand this. And then he says, by the mercies of God. That word means compassions. The favor with which God has looked upon us and now allows us to make the offering, and you'll note the word acceptable, is used in relation to it. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Please note the next two adjectives with me. Holy and acceptable. That word acceptable means well-pleasing. God won't accept just anything offered to Him. I realize that there are many in our world today who suppose that He will. Anything in their mind that you offer to God... He is bound to accept it, but now that's just nonsense. He didn't accept much of what was offered in the Old Testament, and He even stated that. And today He will not accept what is offered to Him, any and everything. Note that last word I would ask you to appreciate, this word reasonable. Now the King James word that there appears at the end of verse number 1, which is your reasonable service, the word from which that word comes is very intriguing. Logikos, L-O-G-I-K-O-S in the original language. You can probably gain a sense of English words near it, words like logic, logical. God wants us to use our mind as we analyze in light of what He's commanded and offer to Him what is consistent with it. It is not a matter of mere feeling. Not a matter of merely offering what I think will sound good to Him. It has to be consistent logically with that which He has demanded. Logikos. Again, the King James puts it as reasonable. It is with those things as a background. Several observations are in order. Let's now piece it all together like this. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, what are we to do? That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Note, first of all this, those animals that they sacrificed in the Old Testament, so you'd kill that lamb or kill that goat or kill that bullock 
And then the priest would offer it appropriately upon the altar of burnt offering. But the animal was slain. Paul was quick to say that today you and I are living. Our sacrifice to God involves that which is alive. That's a very different thing, isn't it? Those animals were slaughtered. You and I, as alive, we present the fullness of ourselves to God. Let's read on. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. On the slide, I would invite you to consider it perhaps like this. They had offerings, of course, to be made. We might even describe from time to time. You might well certainly go a few days, I would think, without the need for a particular offering. But you and I notice that this seemingly involves more than that. It's not that I offer on Sunday and maybe again on Wednesday. The language that Paul is using is notice present tense, that ye offer as if it's ongoing, continuous, and constant. That surely begs a good question, doesn't it? Are you and I offering the fullness of our life, that which is manifested in this body, is such that it should be a reminder and a particular acceptable and holy offering to God? That would indeed mean then that all that I do should be sought to be brought under the jurisdiction or at least the authority of what God wants me to do. One last thing on that slide. Sacrifices, as you and I have already stated in the Old Testament, were not free. You had to give up something. An animal out of your herd, an animal out of your flock. Even the food offering, again, was something you otherwise could have used for yourself. Isn't it true? There may well be many occasions in which our offering to God by virtue of our living sacrifice of our life and body will involve some inconvenience on your part and mine. Now the next verse will explain how that comes about. Let's turn the slide and develop that next verse. And be not conformed to this world. The natural tendency, because it's easy, is to conform to the world. Because I'll not suffer difficulty based on any standard apart from it. I'll not be persecuted because of being different from it. I'll go along with it. The greatest danger to Christianity is not an outside threat. The greatest danger is the internal failure on our part in which our basis of standards simply shifts to conform to the world. We're not different from it anymore. We may call ourselves Christian, but I talk like them, I live like them, I go where they go, I do what they do, and I look upon things the way they look upon it. I've conformed to them. I have molded myself into what their standard of approval is. Paul says you just can't do that. Verse number 2 again says, Be not conformed to the world. He didn't offer any exception to this. The world has always had its standard of acceptability. The Romans had it. The ancient Egyptians had it. And you may remember that Moses stood out quite noticeably because he didn't conform to it. And in the days of the Roman Empire, those apostles, in fact, were so distinct and different, they didn't conform to that standard. 
In Acts chapters 4 and 5, as Peter and John were living in that particular locality, they didn't conform to what the authorities demanded of them. You and I live 20 centuries removed from many of those events. But the pressure to conform is still strong. You and I know that the particular political community, the other features of modern-day culture and society, there's a norm that is rather noticeably prevalent. And Christians are appreciated to be not a part of that norm. And the pressure can be extensive. May I ask us again to think about the sacrifices that we're supposed to be offering. A few more statements on that slide are these. You'll notice they're at the very top. Paul said, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. You know, today's the fifth day of this new year. There are many who, and you may have even heard the slogan, I've turned over a new leaf. May I say that Christians are not in the business of turning over a new leaf. Why do I say that? Because we've been given a new life. It's not a matter of a new leaf. It is a matter of a new life. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, the apostle Paul wrote these rather unforgettable statements. In that passage, he spoke so powerfully and strongly about this truth. The fact that if any be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. A new creature, not a new leaf. As if that weren't strong enough. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 4. There's a rather extensive listing here about something that touches this discussion before us today. Let me start reading in verse number 22. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Christians are new people. When you and I came up out of that watery grave of baptism... It is not merely that we had turned over a new leaf. We became a new person. Old things were passed away. We were washed in the blood of the Master. And as such, we then were given in fullness and completeness to offering living sacrifice to God. That's what we do. You can think of a number of examples. As you and I seek to make this practical, those individuals in the Old Testament, so you'd have to go out to the flock and pick out a lamb. It'd have to be blemishless, and it would have to be of the right age if those requirements were placed. Bring that lamb and offer it at the, at the altar. As you and I have learned, I don't have to do that today, but rather I do this. Every moment of every day, that which is manifested in your body and mind as a Christian is to be a living sacrifice to God. That means what I say is guarded and closely checked to the point where it's holy and acceptable unto God. So I don't say what I shouldn't be saying. I guard my language in such a way that this is a recognized and continual offering of acceptability to God. Isn't that beautiful? 
The kind of things I permit to cross my mind. What am I thinking about? This is an ongoing sacrifice to God. Am I thinking on what's wholesome and sound and good and true and honest and just? The places I visit. Would this be recognized as a holy and acceptable consideration of sacrifice to God? It really is a challenging thing to appreciate then that our system of sacrifice is rather different, but we are offering. Are my offerings to God acceptable? What about yours? Is God looking with favor upon what Randy is offering? Is He looking with acceptability and with a proverbial smile on His face at what you're offering? If the answer to that is yes, look at how verse number 2 ends. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove, notice the word prove, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so it is that with those offerings that we are offering, those sacrifices that we're making, it is such that that is a loud and powerful statement of the perfect will of God. Doesn't it remind you then of that word sacrifice that sometimes again makes a very strong demand on our part? I offer that statement like this. There will be occasions in your life and mine when as Christians, that opposition that we feel will nonetheless make that sacrifice we offer all the sweeter. Someone opposing us and offering a measure of resistance and persecution, and yet as we are in consistency to the Word of God, what we say, what we do, is a powerful example always of appropriate restriction, appropriate patience, and appropriate perseverance. The sacrifices you and I offer allow us to close that slide and to close our lesson like this. Today, we're all offering sacrifices, or at least we should be. Is your life and mine a testimony to that perfect and good will of God? If it is, then your life and mine are so blessed. And this year will have the opportunity to be a year of great example and influence for the cause of Jesus Christ. But if our life is such that that sacrifice is not acceptable, then may I offer that just as God did not accept the sacrifices on occasion of those in the Old Testament, He will not accept ours either. And our life may, in fact, be more of a hindrance to the cause of Christ and a helpfulness to it. I think of the church at Laodicea. They were lukewarm, you see. They weren't cold. They weren't hot. They were just motivating along and perhaps being influenced by the matters of culture. And Jesus said, you make me sick. I hope none of us are making the Lord sick. I hope our sacrifices are not that distasteful to Him. But it does offer us the following examination. If you and I aren't offering acceptable sacrifices by the daily provision of our life, the conviction and obedience to the gospel of Christ, then it's time to do something about it. Because at this point we're headed toward a place called hell. If you've never become a Christian, you haven't even started offering the sacrifices God demands. It's time you do that today. 
believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His name, and submissively and lovingly be baptized into Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. If though you have become a Christian and you've started offering sacrifices, but you've quit, and you've started offering things that God doesn't like and things He doesn't want and things He won't accept, you know, you can make those changes. And for the first time, maybe in weeks or months or even years, you can start offering acceptable sacrifices again to Him. Today, we'd be delighted to pray to God on your behalf that He'd forgive you. And upon your confession and repentance, He said that He will. Today, if we could be of help to any of us, to any person here, in your desire to offer sacrifices to Him, let us help you. While together we stand and while we sing.